Thank you, Lord. Well, if I can't preach after that, I can't preach. Let's look at Romans chapter 6, verse 12. I want to talk to you today about disarming a giant. If we could all stand just to read this one verse, honor the word of God. Uh, This one verse, talk about lust. We've been talking about disarming giants. I've been on it for eight weeks. It's amazing. I've talked about disarming discouragement, anxiety, anger, offense, intimidation, temptation, doubt, condemnation. It's a lot of giants. We have two to go. I'm going to deal with lust today and next week, depression or a heavy heart. How to disarm that heavy heart. Uh, but today, lust. And lust may not mean what you think it does. Let's, let's look at this one verse. Since it's so short, let's read it together. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its what? Lust. So there's the word. Paul drops that word on us, and he does it many times, and so does the rest of the Bible. Talks about lust. Well, if we're not supposed to obey it, then apparently we're to be free of it. Okay? That's what it says. So, let's pray. Father, we thank you for helping us with this sensitive subject. But, Lord, one that we need. We ask you, Lord, to speak to our hearts. And, Lord, as you did in the last service, set people free. Now, will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to me today? In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your neighbor and tell them, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Now, when somebody says the word lust, you kind of tend to look at the ground, and it's kind of an embarrassing topic for a lot of people because we immediately think it's talking about sexual lust. But we're going to see that it, it, it's not only exclusively talking about sexual lust. Lust covers a, high, a wide range of possibilities. Now, going straight to the word in the original language, the word lust comes from a Greek word meaning strong desire, the longings of one's heart. Here's a good one, cravings, cravings. Or, or strong appetite. Now, we all know what it is to have a strong desire. Anybody in here that's had a strong desire in the last week, raise your hand. Well, the rest of you just had a strong desire to lie. <laughs> because I know you've had a strong desire this week. If you've got a pulse, you have strong desires. Okay. But cravings, that, that's, that's the meaning of the word lust. Uh, Um, strong desire, craving, and they can be good or they can be bad. And what we need to know today, first and foremost, is that lust is not always bad. When you say the word lust, you're not necessarily talking about a bad thing. It can also be a longing for what is good and what is right. I've told both services so far, and I'll, I'll just tell you that when I was getting ready for church yesterday and kind of prepping for the weekend, I was in prayer And I was very taken by a strong desire to see God move. I could almost have called it a lust, a craving, a longing to see God move. I I live with a, a desire to carry the word to the world. It's a longing I have. It came upon me when I was 18 years old. It's never left. 
It came from the Spirit of God. And I want you to understand today that to have a strong craving can be a good thing. We're supposed to crave for God. Crave God. Crave His presence. Uh, Crave His will. Crave to be with Him. Long to know Him better. Have a strong desire to walk with Him. I believe if you're a child of God, that ought to be something that you experience at least from time to time. Lord, I want to be with you. I want to know you. I long to draw near. I long to pull in tight to you. I, I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to be a man of God, a woman of God. I want, I want to be your person. Psalms ten seventeen says, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. That word desire is from a Hebrew meaning strong desire. Now he's saying, Lord, I had a strong desire and you heard it and you answered it. The implication is that answered prayer took place and that prayer was fueled by strong desire. As a matter of fact, did you know that James tells us that one of the marks of true prayer is fervent, strong, craving desire. The Bible says the effectual, fervent, heartfelt prayer of the righteous man avails much, releasing great power, dynamic in its working. Do you hear those passion words? Passion words. Fervent, heartfelt, strong desire. And it says that when you pray with that kind of an intense craving, that's the kind of prayer that God just looms in on, just homes in on and and answers. Prayers are not supposed to be dead, dry, oh, Lord, if thou wouldest, shouldest, couldest. It's, it's like John Knox, the great Scottish evangelist, prayed this way. Watch this. This prayer is famous, and it's one sentence. He said, oh, God, give me Scotland or I die. Now, that's passion. That is craving to see God move. So lust is, it can be positive. It'd be all right if we all went out here saying, boy, I'm lusting for God. I crave for God. Okay? But, of course, you know the flip side. Lust is sinful. It's sinful when it originates with the flesh as a strong desire or a craving for what God forbids. So if it's the right kind of lust or craving, it springs from the Spirit of God working in our heart. But when it's the wrong kind, it comes out of our flesh And it's a craving for that which God forbids. And we all know what that feels like. James said it comes from within you. Uh, Lust does not originate with the devil. The devil doesn't come and put lust in us. James said each one is tempted when they are drawn away of their own lust and enticed. Notice, own lust, your lust. Flip Wilson was wrong. The devil didn't make him do it. See, lust originates in our own fallen nature, and then the devil capitalizes on that lust. He uses it. If we weren't walking in the flesh, the devil wouldn't have anything to work with. It's only when we get in the flesh he has something to work with. James said that lust begins here, and then you're lured and enticed where you shouldn't go. An example of the wrong kind of lust, it's really a good one. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness and they got sick and tired of manna. Manna means what is it? 
They looked at that manna for the first time. They said, what is it? And that became manna's name. What is it? On the ground. Looked like a little coriander seed. They didn't know what it was, so they said, what is it? And that's what it was named. And they lived on manna for years and years and years. Baked manna, fried manna, microwave manna. They had all kinds of manna. And finally, they decided, I am so sick of this manna. But now watch this, church. The reason they had the manna was because God was teaching them daily dependence on him. Because every morning they had to go out and gather it. Every morning they had to go out and they had to depend on God to put it there. And they went out every morning and gathered it. And so they were learning to humble themselves and be daily dependent on God. Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. So we are led to to learn the same lesson that our bread comes daily from God. Okay? But they rebelled against that. And they said, we're tired of this what is it. We're tired of this manna. So we want meat. God, give us meat. And all of a sudden, as they complained and griped and moaned and murmured, the sky grew black with huge flocks of quail. And the quail began to drop like flies all around them. They thought God had answered their murmuring. But the Bible tells us what happened. It says the people ate their fill. He gave them what they, watch this, craved. So there you've got a craving that originated with the flesh. But before they satisfied their craving, while the meat was yet in their teeth, the anger of God rose against them. He killed their strongest men. He struck down the finest of Israel's young men. I'm so glad I don't live in Old Testament days. Because we wouldn't have a church in here if God killed us every time we yielded to a craving. Amen? I'd be preaching to empty chair. Well, I wouldn't be here either. We'd all be gone, right? Vaporized. But God was teaching a lesson that inordinate fleshly cravings will destroy you. That's the lesson. But we see from this story that all wrong cravings or desires or lusts are not sexual in nature. This wasn't sexual. They wanted a dove dinner. They wanted a dove dinner, and God gave them a dove dinner, but it was not the kind of answer to prayer they wanted. Craving, lust, is not always sexual. The Bible testifies that fallen mankind is constantly troubled because of lust in our hearts. James says, where do wars and fights come from among you? In home, at workplace, between nations? Where do they come from? Do they not come from the lusts that war in your members? You lust and don't have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you war. And the instigator, the inspiration of all of this fighting and warring is lust in the heart. And we also see when you look at the subject of lust that the devil has infused and infiltrated our entire world with lust. This world that we live in is is built upon lust. John said, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For everything that is in the world, here we go, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, pride of life is the attitude, I don't need God. And is that not where America is today? And look at where America is being consumed with lust, destroyed by lust, overtaken by lust, because we have said, I don't need God, pride of life. And it says, 
Those things don't come from the Father, but from the world, because every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variableness nor the shadow of change. So if it's good and it's perfect, then it comes down from the Father. But if it's a fleshly lust, it doesn't originate with the Father, but with our own flesh. The list of lustful possibilities is almost endless. Alcohol, drugs, people who, who become involved in either one of those two, they, they experience cravings. I mean cravings. Now, I'm not talking about temptation to sin. I'm going a step further, and I'm talking about lust, the craving, the desire, the longing that seems to overtake you. It feels bigger than you, stronger than you. It's all you can think about. It's all you see when you're experiencing it. It's a craving. And that's the kind of lust that we want to disarm. That's the kind of lust that Jesus wants to give us victory over. Fame is a lust. Are you ready for this one? Food. Gluttony. How about money? Money is a lust. Violence. Violence is lust-driven. Violence is a lust. All of these things spring out of what Peter called lusts that war against your soul. These are lusts inside of us. We're in a battle. And the great thing about heaven is going to be there is no more temptation. The devil's gone. The flesh is gone. Fallen nature is gone. And can you imagine even going one week without feeling a temptation? Imagine eternity with no more temptation. But in the meantime, we have lust that war against our soul. And Peter said, I beseech you as pilgrims and strangers in this earth that you avoid these lusts that war against your soul. Now, I want to tell you today, I know this is a delicate subject and, and I know that I'm hitting home because we all experience this. But I want you to understand that there's not a form of lust you face in whatever way it manifests in your life that you have a Savior who understands every weakness of yours and mine. He was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. That's almost beyond comprehension to me. But there is not a lust that you experience, not a compulsion, not a pull, not a longing, not a craving that Jesus Christ did not deal with it on the battlefield of life. The only difference with him was he never succumbed. So when he hung on that cross, Satan had orchestrated the murder of an innocent man. He was innocent through and through, pure, tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. And so that precious blood that flowed down that old wooden cross was the blood that set us free, not only got us into heaven, but set us free from the giant of lust. That's the message. Jesus, in the midst of your battle, is your friend. He's not against you. He's not looking down at you, angry at you, because you're struggling over this. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's not a sin to experience the compulsion, the craving of a wrong kind of lust. The Bible says Jesus has set us free. You will know the truth and it'll make you free. And he whom the son frees is free, truly indeed, truly free, free on the inside. You can be in a wide open space, folks, and be in prison on the inside, or you can be in a little jail and be free. 
freedom is an inside thing. It's not an outside thing. Now, here's the million dollar question. How do you disarm the giant of lust? How do we do it? How do you do it? If I'm supposed to be free, how do I do it? I'm going to give you three simple things. First, say this with me, ask for help. Now, isn't that profound? But you know what that entails and what it requires? Humility to ask for help. Men, men don't want to admit to struggling with a weakness. I am man, hear me roar. We don't like to admit it. I'm not telling anybody. And they're dying on the inside. Struggling. Second this service this morning, we had men come down, weeping, seeking God, breaking. A couple of them reeking of alcohol. Came into church, not having any idea they would be down here getting their hearts right. And I watched the chains break. I watched the chains break. And that's, that's what church is about. The Bible says we should take our, our struggles vertical and horizontal. Vertical to God. There's nothing you take to God that he doesn't already know. There is nothing you take to God that's going to shock God. God already knows. Isn't it amazing? So many times we pray, we think we're telling God something. We're telling for our sake, not for his sake. He already knows every struggle. So you go to God and you confess the lust to him, whatever kind it is, you name it and you say it to him. God, I am struggling with and name it and say it. The Bible says, trust in him at all times. You people pour out your hearts to him. Let it go to him for God is our refuge. He's not going to reject us. He's not going to turn us aside. He's our refuge, our rock, our strength, our shield, our healer, our deliverer. He is our sealer. He is our savior. He is all of these things to us. God is. You can tell him about it. Tell him about it. Now, you'll notice that sometimes when you go to do that, and, and you know you've confessed your sins to him, he's, been for, he's forgiven you, but you're still struggling with that giant. And if that's still what's happening, here's what you need to do. Take it horizontal. Tell a friend. Tell a pastor. Tell a counselor. Tell someone trustworthy about your struggle. Well, pastor, I just don't want to do that because I know it'll happen. They'll look at me from then on like I'm some kind of a freak. No, they won't. Because there's not a person in here who hasn't dealt with the giant of lust in some arena of life. And so like Jesus said, you that is without, are without sin, you cast the first stone and nobody could and nobody still can. The church has got to get past this illusion we try to give people that when we walk into church, we've got some halo over our head that's not tarnished. We struggle all week long with the flesh. Sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. We all have battles. And if we would just get to the place where we say, brother, sister, I want you to pray with me because I'm really dealing with this giant. Because listen to what the Bible promises. Confess your faults to one another. <sighs> Did you know that was there? And that's not talking about a Catholic priest. Going to confession. You're all priests. Okay? So it says, confess your faults to one another. And pray for each other so that you may be 
healed. Now, I used to read that and go, oh, that's talking about physical healing. But then I dug into it this week and found what I thought I would find. It's not just talking about physical healing. The word healed here refers to freedom from sin. That when you bring something into the light, it's like God pulls up the curtains, the sunshine comes in, all the cobwebs in that dark room where you've been defeated are revealed. The spiders, the cobwebs, the rats scurrying on the floor, the cockroaches, they all start to run when the light comes in. And, and, and the light comes in when we confess to one another and just say, I need prayer. I need prayer. That's what Celebrate Recovery is all about here at, at Turning Point. I'm going to tell you, Celebrate Recovery is an amazing Tuesday night and Thursday night. We have Celebrate Recovery. I go to most of the graduations, and I'm never, I never cease to be amazed because Celebrate Recovery is all about you, you sharing with someone else your struggle, coming out with it. I need you. I need your prayer. I need your help. I need you to walk through this battle with this giant with me. And I sit right over there, and I listen to these testimonies on graduation night, and I am always absolutely blown away at what I hear. The things that they have been delivered of. Sometimes this was the last stop. This was it before they walked off the cliff, and here they turn. And here they get delivered. And here they get free. And I I told every service, I'm not to my car before I've called Kathy. And I say, Kathy, one of the great reasons that Turning Point is here is celebrate recovery. Because it's really seeing people free. It really is. So the word for healed means freedom from sin. So when you go to somebody and you say, hey, I'm struggling, there's something about that. It breaks the spell of that lust. Second thing, recognize what Jesus did for us on the cross. So we ask for help and then we recognize something. What did Jesus do for us on the cross? Now, if I passed out a poll right now and I asked one question, what did the cross do for you? Overwhelmingly, you would say, well, the cross got me forgiven of my sins and got me into heaven. And you would be absolutely right, but you would only be partially right. And do you know that a lot of Christians don't know what the cross really did do? And because they don't know, they have not gotten free. You will know the truth, and that's what makes you free. Now, let me give you some truth about the cross. This is an amazing statement. I'm reading from Romans 6, two verses, 6 through 7. Listen to what Paul says. Your old evil desires were nailed to the cross with him. Now, I'm going to read it again because it takes several times for it to sink in. Listen carefully. Your old evil desires, other versions would say your old man, the old man of sin, the Adam nature that got you in all your trouble in the first place. That nature that sins, that old Adamic nature was nailed to the cross with him. Now, follow me here. There's that old song. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Yes, you were. You were there. You were there. You were there. You were there. there. All of you. I was there. When they crucified my Lord, somehow in the mysterious, profound workings of God, 
When Jesus died on that cross, he nailed the old man of sin on that cross with him. That means my old nature is D-E-A-D, dead. Okay? It gets better. That part of you that loves to sin was crushed and fatally wounded. So that your sin-loving body is no longer under sin's control. No longer needs to be a slave to sin. For when you are dead to sin, you are freed from all of its allure and its power over you. Is this saying that we will never sin again? No. Is it talking about sinless perfection? No. Here's what it's saying. Before you were saved, you had no choice. You had to sin. All sin and fell short of the glory of God. Before you were saved, you had no choice. But once you're saved, there is a power that lives inside of you where you can resist those cravings. You can resist that pull towards the wrong thing by the Holy Spirit who lives within you. And because that old man of sin is hanging on the cross with Jesus. And listen, I ask you a question. If something is on a cross, is it alive or dead? It's dead. You hear what he's telling us? For when you are dead to sin, you are freed from all its allure and its power over you. So to overcome lust, we've got to recognize that the person we used to be was nailed to the cross with Jesus. Catch that now. That person you used to be that was involved in all the sinful activity, that person that needed to get saved, that person is gone. That old man of sin is nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul said. I am crucified with Christ. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. He's saying, he said, I'm dead to sin, but alive to God. Before you were saved, you were alive to sin and dead to God. But now that you're saved, you are dead to sin and alive to God. Oh, we got to get this. According to the Bible, we Christians went from being dead in sin to being dead to sin. Say with me, I'm dead. I'm dead. <laughs> I see you going to the restaurant afterwards. What'd you learn today? Oh, I learned I'm dead. <laughs> but, you, but you really hear the old man is dead. Now, watch the 17 times in 23 verses in Romans alone, we're told we have died or we are dead and our life is hidden with Christ in God. So, What that means is that old man can't make you yield to sin anymore because he's crucified. Paul says, since you know that, or now that you've heard that, I want you to reckon it to be true. It's easy for us in Texas to say, I reckon. So can we just say it? I reckon. Well, that was five of you. Let's try it again. I reckon. What are you supposed to reckon? He says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word reckon means count something is true. 
conclude that something is true. If I stepped off the stage right now and I handed one of these folks on the front row a wad of $1 bills, said, here you go, here's $100. But it was just a wad of $1 bills. But I said, here's $100. What's the first thing you're going to do when I walk away? One, two, three, four, five, six, right? You get around at 98, 99, and oh, there's one left. So I conclude, having counted all the dollars, he told me the truth. That's reckon. I reckon I was told the truth. So we're supposed to add up everything the Bible tells us Jesus did for us. He took our sins on himself. He took our judgment. He took the blame. He took the wrath. He died in our stead. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. He took our sin upon himself and gave us his righteousness. When I add all those things up, I come to the end and I go, I reckon, I conclude that I have been told the truth that I am dead to sin. I presided over a funeral one time of a person who had been addicted to drugs. And after the funeral, funeral, one of their loved ones said this to me, at least now they can't be tempted anymore. Why? Because a dead person can no longer live in sin. They're dead. Are you ready? You are that dead. Your old man is that dead. No, this is not just John 3.16 today. But I'm telling you, doctrine and doctrine is truth that sets you free. We've got to understand these things. So it works out like this. Today you're going to go to a restaurant. You're going to go down the, down the line. And you're going to go to that one place where it's about this wide. When you get to the end of the line, the cash register is right here. But they make sure right before the cash register, right here is the chocolate cream pie, the lemon meringue pie, the pecan pie, all of those things that are 1,000 calories per bite are right there. And let me tell you what happens to me. With me, I experience a craving. And it's always for the chocolate cream pie. You know what the devil does? There's always just one left. And that one says to me, God save me just for you. God save me just for you. And you know what I do? I agree. I say, oh, this is providence. <laughs> Isn't it funny how when your flesh wants something, you come up for a hundred reasons. But now here's the deal. If you walk in this truth, here's what you do. If you walk in this truth, you hear that saying to you, uh, I was saved just for you. You who come to me, you say, I reckon I'm dead. And you pay your bill and walk away and leave that chocolate cream pie for somebody else. You're driving down the highway. You've had struggles with alcohol. You drive down the highway and here's those flashing lights of a liquor store. And it seems to say, liquor, stop, liquor, pull over. And you feel yourself letting off the accelerator, starting to turn down that exit ramp. And here's what you do. You say, I reckon I'm. And you turn the wheel back and keep right on going. Somebody comes up to you if you've had a struggle with drugs and they say, hey, I've got some good stuff. Why don't you come over and we'll get a little high. You don't have to do it all the time. We'll just do it one time. And you know it's the devil. But that compulsion, that 
craving comes upon you, but you remember what you heard in Turning Point Church as we preach from the Word of God, and you say, I reckon I'm to sin, but alive to God. And we could carry this out all day on the different scenarios where sin approaches us and temptation, and we get that lust, a craving for something we shouldn't do. One last thing. So you ask for something, you recognize something, and then you feed something. Now listen carefully. There's an old story. There's two dogs fighting in you. Black dog and a white dog. One's the flesh, the other is the spirit. Which one wins? The one you feed the most. I promise you, it's that simple. What does that mean? Well, you can feed yourself all day on fleshly garbage. Television, magazines, books, culture, pop culture, trash, lustful images, wrong philosophies. It's everywhere. Or you can get up in the morning and first thing head straight for your Bible and open it up. And that is your manna. That's your manna. What did, what did God say? I'm going to give you fresh manna every day. It's there. Every, the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. You open up that Bible and he's got manna for you and you gather it and you feed your spirit man. You feed the spirit of God within you with the word and with prayer and with obedience to the initial promptings of the Holy Spirit. And if you do that, you will walk in the spirit. Now watch this. It says, if we by the spirit do put to death the deeds of the body, we will live. How do you kill the flame of lust? You put it out with the heavenly water of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given as a seal of our redemption. It is given to give us power to witness, and it's given to give us the power to mortify, to kill, to defeat the flesh. So you get up in the morning. It's my favorite time of day. I cherish this time. I open up that Bible. Got the coffee right here that I don't want to be free from, so don't pray for me. I, I just like it right here. But I open up that Bible, and I feed on that manna. It is so good. It is so precious. It is so powerful. And I can feel the Holy Spirit inside of me being edified and strengthened. If you look at Luke 140 and Luke 280, you will read how John the Baptist and Jesus grew mighty in spirit. They were mighty in their inner man. I want to grow mighty in spirit. How does it happen? You feed that inner man. So say with me, ask for something, recognize something, feed something. If you do that, that, dis, that giant of lust will be starved to death. Can we stand together? God is here right now. And it's time for some of us to say to this giant of lust in whatever way it manifests, but it's taunting you and mocking you and it's defeating you. 
Today, you've got a word from the Bible on how to disarm it. It's not going to happen overnight, but it is going to happen. So can we lift our hands to the Lord and say, Lord, I give you every craving, every longing for what is forbidden of God, for what is not for my best. And I receive this word. I ask you for help. And I recognize what the cross did for me. And I will feed my inner man. And I say, Lord, I give you the giant and you fill in the blank. Do it right now. I give you the giant and you fill in the blank. I picture Jesus smiling at you as if to say, we've got it. And that giant is coming down. Father, I pray you will break the chains and the shackles, snap the fetters, and let those that have been under the sway of some giant, some manifestation of lust to be broken that they would be set free in the mighty name of the Lamb of God, even Jesus. And while our heads are bowed, you might be here today and say, you know, Pastor Jeff, this message really wasn't for me because I don't even know if I know Jesus in a personal way. So I don't have the power in me to walk in what you talked about. Ah, but you can today. You can let him into your heart today like people did in the first service. You can let him into your heart today, this day. Why would you go get in your car and drive down the highway when there is a question mark in your mind about whether or not Jesus is in your heart? He's as close as a prayer, and I'm going to ask us to do something. With our heads bowed, if you can say, Pastor Jeff, I do have a question. I have a question whether or not I have a personal walk with Jesus. I want you to raise your hand. Put it up high where I can see you. God bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Many of you, several of you. And what's so interesting to me is it's all men, just like it was in the first service. But there might be a woman here who needs Jesus in her heart. I'm going to ask us to do something. At the end of this service, when we dismiss, this is what we did in the first service. Listen carefully to me. At the end of this service, when we dismiss, I'm asking those of you that raise your hand to not go out the back. Come straight up here, and I want to pray with you. And I will pray with you. In the first service, men surrounded us, men who were addicted, men who needed help, and we watched God move on them. God's here today. So I'm going to ask you to do that. So please listen carefully. Don't walk out. Walk this way as soon as we dismiss this service, all right? Now, if you needed this today, give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen. And I'm going to ask...